Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to Syracast episode 12. This week, we are going to talk about Apple, Apple, and Samsung. To my right, as always, Douglas Soltis. How are you, sir? I am ready to pod. And to my left, Jane McIntyre. How are you? I'm fine. How are you? Great. I say to my right and left, not proverbially, but literally, because this week we are coming to you from our new studio in downtown Toronto. It sounds more luxurious than it is. We are in an equi white room, but this is still our first podcast that we've done all together. So please hang in there. First, we're going to talk about Apple. Uh, we're going to start with the iPhones, two new iPhones, 6 and 6 Plus. This is the first time Apple's ever called one of their smartphones something other than an, a 5 or a 1 or a something with an S. That made no sense. So anyway, what do you uh, what do you guys think? It makes a little bit of sense. It's a new sub-brand. It's a sub-brand. It's, it's not like a um, version distinction. It's like a new, it's like iPad Air kind of. Well, it's a mega brand. I don't think that mega brand, I don't think Plus has the same ring to it as iPad Air though. I agree. I just, I'm, like, I'm surprised. I remember I'm... when I ever made the MaxiPad jokes about the iPad? I feel like the Plus thing is like, I don't know, it gives me the same vibe where I'm just like, ooh. But well, what, what else could they have called it? Um, well, the, the fact that they even had to call it anything and the, the way that they're saying that this is a bigger version of the perfect phone is, I think, indicative of their approach um, where, you know, they eventually made a larger phone, two larger phones, one uh, slightly larger and one ridiculously larger under duress and pressure from both consumers and, well, they wouldn't say the tech press, but... You think it was under duress? Maybe. I don't know. I think they... Apple doesn't do anything under duress. They could have kept on going for the the four screen sold 50 million iPhones a year. Well, if people were happy to buy them instead of, you know, leading consumers to come to their on their offering devices. But there's a, there's premium competition in a higher size uh, and Apple has to be there. But their approach to it um, is one way of saying, you know, this is the the big version of the thing. Why didn't they just call it the potential phone, which was like the XL? Because plus and devices somehow. Because it's better. Yeah, and there is some there is some small differences, but it's not they're not like not too expensive. Oh, I think I mean we'll get to that in a bit, but I do think they a couple of major differences are significant enough to call it. Yeah. But plus. I think those differences can be explained by saying because it's bigger, we did this. Mm-hmm. Well, not for this phone is better. Okay, so let's let's give a bit of background. I'm sure everybody knows already what these phones entail, but there are two 4.7 and 5.5 inches. The 4.7 inch runs 1334 by 750 pixels, and that is 38% more than the iPhone 5 and 5S. And the larger device, the 5.5-inch iPhone 6 Plus, is a 1080p screen, which is smaller in density than, than was initially thought. Uh, it was going to be, if, if the math worked out the way that some pundits had, had expected, it was going to go up to like 32 or 22, 32 by 
uh, you know, 10, 12, like 1200 or something. So what actually is happening is that uh, in order for designers to create apps, it is building those, they're building the apps in that generation and then it's downsampling. And there's a great article that we'll point to uh, in the show notes uh, explaining how designers and developers are going to create apps for the larger phone. But just in terms of size, I mean, the the size themselves, the size itself is, is what's going to majorly differentiate them. But there's also the higher resolution screen. There's the fact that the eight megapixel camera on the plus version has optical image stabilization, which is a first for an Apple device. And it uh, also um, the battery life as well. Oh yes, that's, that's right. Yeah. I was like, there's something else. Uh, and there's a larger battery that we don't know how much larger physically. We just know that Apple says it's going to run for two more hours on a single charge. So those are not insignificant. Not insignificant, but also not a different I, device identity. Yeah, that's it why is, it should just be XL, I think. Well, if if Apple was bad at branding and wanted you to equate a phone with a T-shirt, then maybe. But you know, they don't like that's <laughs> like that's that's something that like Sony would do. Something in HTC. No, it's the Nintendo. When they yeah. did, did it, but Sony did do it, didn't they? They did like the Xperia Z, like they did. Yeah, a bunch of like, letters that don't mean anything. Yeah. Apple's. And now they're on the Xperia Z L3 Plus, yeah. and nobody knows what the hell they're talking about. The Windows Phone, Phone 8, 1M <laughs> by HTC. Right. No, I mean, this is this no. is strange, but it's not so strange. So the, the Plus, uh, it's slightly thicker. Uh, it's got, but, it, but ultimately, the both, both phones are the same. They run. The same operating system. They have NFC for mobile payments. They have a new A8 uh, processor with a new GPU. Uh, it seems really sexy. It, it's going to be very so. It's built on a 20 nanometer process, which means that this, it's physically smaller, so it runs cooler. So battery life inherently is going to be better, even if the battery sizes were identical. Although the screen resolution is higher, so the backlight's going to be higher. But Apple says that the backlight is actually thinner, so it's, it runs on less power. So all of these things add up once again to a very iterative update. The design is a little bit different. It's thinner. It's slightly rounder, but it, uh, they, they did that to make the phones easier to use in one hand or, and, and to hold in general. Uh, and the Plus actually has a landscape-optimized uh, software, so you can turn the phone into landscape mode, and uh, there's a new springboard that actually now flips over, and uh, some apps like uh, mail and uh, messages will be optimized for that with a two-pane layout. So there are some significant updates. And the, the double tap to... No, to bring um, down for one-handed. Yeah. But that's on both phones. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. Okay. It's called Reachability, and it's uh, interesting because, well, they Apple fans have been making fun of Samsung for the fact that you can do the same thing for two years now. So yeah. I think that's kind of significant, is that this, in many ways, is Apple playing catch-up to high-end Android phones. Well, they, in finally releasing a large tablet device, like something that you could easily, you know, bludgeon a fish to death with, yes. Um, but I'm wondering, you know, are these devices significant? So, for the most part, we knew everything about these phones except for what the screen was going to be made of, um, which turned out to be not Sapphire, which was the component for the Apple Watch, which we'll talk about later. Um, I wrote an article basically outlining what I thought the next iPhone needed. And for the most part, it had all of it, with the exception of maybe on the iPhone 6 side, um, not the battery life improvement that I'd be looking for. 
anymore. It doesn't have, you know, I was really hoping for something significantly better, not the same battery life with better device performance. Is, you know, what are our thoughts? Because when we were following along with the keynote, the initial reaction was like almost one of confirmation. Like, yep, okay, there's the thing we were expecting, there's the thing we were expecting, there's mm -hmm. the thing we were expecting. But how do we feel about these devices? Okay, but before we get into that, I think we have to put it into context. If we weren't looking at this stuff every day, and if we weren't covering all the leaks the way that we usually do, although we don't cover all of them, just saying, <laughs> we, you know, but we live in this, in this world. If we had just come from the 5S, and then overnight we hear about the 6, and hear about all the changes, improvements to the camera, faster software, bigger and sharper screens, easier to hold, blah, blah, blah. Would they not knock our socks off? Would it not be significant? It would, it would, you know, and I'm not singling out the iPhone here. I'm saying in general, if you are a Galaxy S4 user and you hear about the upgrades to the S5 and you had never heard anything about the phone, would you not be blown away by these in in improvements? I think the iPhone is unique in the sense that like when you gave the example of the Galaxy, like if I'm a Galaxy S4 user and I'm looking at the Galaxy S5, like I'm, as a Galaxy user, I, I wouldn't be looking at the iPhone and saying, I wish my phone was that small or I wish my phone did X or Y. But like you said, like you, you, this is Apple playing catch up. So I feel like if I had an iPhone 5S, my biggest beef would be, I wish my phone was like a bit bigger or, you know, and, and seeing the 6, I would be like, hey, like or the 6 Plus, I would be like, hey, it is, it's mm -hmm. bigger. and. You know, it's it's got those things that would maybe make me want to switch away from from Apple and go go Android. But other than that, if if I was all Apple all the time and, and I was didn't didn't want a bigger phone, I wouldn't switch. I would just be like, no, it's not worth it. But what I find interesting though is that because there are quite a few people who have likely switched to larger phones over the last couple of years because of the prospect mm -hmm. of using a larger screen means getting more done means seeing. Uh, you know, c content, you know, larger and more more content on the screen at, at, at once. They may now go back to Apple, so they're not they're not Apple or Android loyalists. They're just people who want powerful phones that do more. They want big, beautiful, pretty screens. And many of them, I'm sure, miss the iOS ecosystem. You know, they may have iTunes payments, they may have Apple Stores, and they may be like, listen, I, I miss iOS. But I think I think once you miss iOS, I think once you can jump to any platform together, it's really hard to go back. So I think once people that miss it, they'll they'll think back to the world of hurt that it was with Switch, and they'll be like, oh. Like, is it worth it to go back? It depends. They have to really miss it. It, it, hurts, it hurts us more, I think, than most people just because we're so locked in. Like, very, very I think it hurts us less because we, we know, like, what, what is, what's entailed in, like, a switch. Okay. Whereas someone who's less tax savvy will be like, oh, I, I, I mean, what do you mean I can't do a switch? Like, I can't have my apps? Yeah. Like, I can't get, like, where's my, where's my Google Drive? Yeah. Like, Google Drive is on both. I mean, no, but you know what I mean? Like, they're... Yeah, Gmail's on both, and it's a totally different experience. But, um... Okay, so the, the business way. In terms of ex, uh, excitement, I definitely look at this phone or these two phones and just, just say the iPhone 6, not even the 6 Plus, because I don't even know how I feel about something that large, uh, putting it any, anywhere near my, my body, my pants, or anything. That came out really wrong. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but moving on, um, I, it's obviously a better phone. It looks great. It's thinner. It's improved in a lot of different ways. I do think that the um, the foreknowledge diminishes the the ability to take it as a whole. But I also think it's a sign of the the smartphone industry now, where it it takes a phone not just being a good, well designed phone to be interesting anymore. It has to be physically 
doing something different. Like I think the Galaxy Note Edge is more interesting as a as a phone because it's it's trying from a hardware perspective to do something different. The things that I'm most excited about for the new iPhones are really a lot iOS 8 related because it's not the hardware that enables this. It's the, the baseline, from a hardware perspective, the, the, the baseline of all smartphones today are going to give you great things. They're going to give you solid telephony. They're going to give you a good screen. They're going to give you, uh, you know, LTE performance, significant apps. It all comes down to how you use it. So when we were talking before about the Passport being really exciting, it's because like that's a totally different approach to making a phone in 2014. Um, much in the way, you know, like there's a reason why, and I don't know if we want to transition to it yet, but when Apple introduces a smartwatch, which every other company approaches as a price point that they can create a commodity for, they say, we went to go design a new user experience. We needed a new user interface. Here are all the decisions we that went into us making this because these decisions are important. That was incredibly sexy to me, even though I think the Moto 360 is a, a nicer looking watch because I know that they're trying specific things and, and those things are reflected in the design. So when it when it comes to when it comes to phones, I'm like, yeah, it's a pretty beautiful phone. And if you came back from the future uh, to 2008 and put that in front of my face, I would steal it from you and be incredibly excited for what was coming. But it's it's all about the other stuff around it. Yeah, I I get that, but at the same time, you know, Apple is this is the first time that Apple's really taken a chance with its hardware right. in the last five years. And I think it goes back to when you were saying, oh, like will people bother upgrading because it seems kind of incremental. I think that it will go hand in hand with that kind of Apple culture of like having the new iPhone. People now are going to be like, oh, that guy has the big iPhone. Yeah. It's not going to be like, but has, it's going to be like, me. look how big that guy's iPhone is. Like, it's so pretty. It's like, <laughs> tell me, tell me, <laughs> sorry. Name, name another smartphone line for any OS no, platform I'm saying. that isn't also incremental. Like, that's. No, 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 absolutely. But you have to look at, I mean, we understand that most of our readers and listeners use Android. We have that data. But at the same time, you have to look at Apple's ecosystem outside of the context of the, of the tech geek and. People don't know about Android as as much as they do about Galaxy. Yeah. You know, and that's the thing is that Android is this disparate ecosystem of of consumer devices and developers and 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 all these things that come together to form what is you know the larger Android ecosystem. But people know iPhone and they get excited about the iPhone because it enables them to do more. So when you know when you look at something like Samsung introducing. Uh, the equivalent of a fingerprint scanner on the Galaxy S5, it was terrible. It didn't work properly. It was hard to use with one hand. Whereas Touch ID is was not only pretty much perfect the day it came out, there were some issues with it, but it was pretty much perfect. It enabled you to make purchases the day you bought an iPhone 5S with iTunes. And the day that the iPhone 6 and 6 Plus come out, you'll be able to do more than that because the because they've opened up the uh, Touch ID API to developers, and down the road you'll be able to use it in store with Apple Pay. Yeah. So these are these are things where Apple seems like they've made these decisions long beforehand in order to facilitate upgrades that actually matter to people's lives, yeah. rather than just saying. That's what, yeah, I agree. That's why I think it's not them taking a chance. 
I think they. they, they so we're saying on the chance. hardware really is no. this kind of a chance because it's. I don't. I don't think it is. I think they finally just they all the stars aligned for them were to be at the point where they could hit a screen size with a certain amount of thinness, a certain amount of performance with the A8 chip, with the N8 chip, and that they could be happy with releasing at the level. I think the 5C was a much bigger risk because that's them basically saying, we're gonna release something other than a premium product. Both the iPhone 6 and the iPhone 6 Plus are uh, premium high-end versions at certain screen sizes. The 5C was then saying, we're gonna release something that's not the best thing that we can make. We're gonna take a stab at trying to identify a target. Yeah, the 5C was the iPhone 5 in a a plastic body. I mean, it was exactly the same phone. Yeah, but it was aimed at a different different demographic. And it was, I think, that Apple made a phone, I mean, they made the best phone that they could for that demographic, which was people who want, like, They made the best phone that they could at a price point rather than the best phone that they could make. No, it wasn't a price point. It was still the iPhone 5C, even today, at $459 outright, is still a premium product. Yeah. I mean, the the day that the iPhone 6 got announced, the iPhone 5C became the entry-level iPhone, the 5S is now the mid-range iPhone, and then the 6 and 6 Plus are the two flagships. Wasn't the 4S the entry level when the iPhone 5C was announced? Yes. So the 5C was was the mid-range product, it yeah. was, and, it, and it was still marketed as something that you would have to pay money for on contract. Yes. Okay. They, they, they never, they, they've never made a new free iPhone. They, they will never oh, introduce okay, yes. a so zero I, I didn't, I didn't mean completely low end, but it's it's a diff- that's more that's very different from them doing what they normally do, which is here's the best that we can do every year, and all the previous models are now slotted through and going to be happy with them because they were the best you could get two years ago. Now I'm not using a five S, I'm using a five, and I've been so you're essentially using a five C. You're just using a metal five C. Yeah, I'm using essentially a metal five C. So what like they did, experience? so the five C was a mar- was a marketing tactic rather than a product. Yes, which I think is more of a risk for them than saying because Apple wins when they just say, "Here's the best thing that we can make, and here's why." Because you know, it, like it's 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 closer to the decisions that Samsung makes when they slap in or out two different things, change the color, give it a Neo X Outdoorsman's Edition, and and try to sell through. Like that's that's very that's much more different for Apple than them saying, hey, here's something at two resolutions. They've already, or two screen sizes, they've already done this with the iPad extremely successfully. Mm-hmm. But the, sorry, go ahead. Sorry, no, I'm just, I keep thinking about what you were saying before, about how like, they release a new phone and then everything kind of just slots down. It's like, oh, and this is the best we could do two years ago. And that's something that I hate about Apple that I think Android is just starting to get out of. It used to be when, when someone was like, I want to buy an Android phone, or I don't want to spend a lot of money, you would recommend like the flagship from like a year, year and a half ago. Mm-hmm. And I really like that Android has gotten out of that rush where now we have phones like the Moto G that aren't yeah. just flagships from two years ago that aren't going to get updated okay. six months down the line. And I really hate that about Apple where they just like people now are like, well, you can buy a 5S, and it's like it's still an old, like it's still an old device. But that's comparing one manufacturer versus a series of manufacturers. But that's the problem is that iOS is all just one manufacturer, so that's the experience you get if you buy iPhone. Which the problem is the benefit too. But I think you're totally right. Like, so when I was saying that the the, the Note Edge is like one of the more interesting. I'm very interested in everything Motorola is doing. I'm totally happy with them specifically targeting hardware for like, like not the high end doing that specifically. And I think, you know, 
that's just not what Apple's about. And being a, a high-end premium consumer electronics customer, I don't need that. I, I think it's great that Motorola exists, but it, you know, that's, that's again, one of those problems where you're now comparing one company versus the field. Yeah, okay, but you have to distinguish the markets because Apple uh, has a lot of trouble selling in markets that don't subsidize their products. Yeah. So they took a long time to get to China because China doesn't typically subsidize their phones. And you have to see, okay, well, Motorola is finding the, best, the biggest success for the Moto G in, in countries like India and Brazil because they don't subsidize products. So they're not willing to spend eight, $900 on a phone. Yeah. The iPhone in Brazil is insanely expensive. The reason that Android has been so successful in, the, in, in, in Europe and South America is for that exact reason, because we, as North Americans, have grown used to buying phones on contract. So even you saying you're a high-end phone customer, you're only spending three, $400 at most on contract, maybe probably far less than that. But the high-end Android, a high-end Android phone is still only a couple hundred dollars at most, but the high-end iPhone Plus, iPhone 6 Plus is going to be like $500 on contract. Yeah. No, no, I get so that. Apple prices its phones high because their margins, because they want their margins high and that's why they're making money. Yeah, they're because they can actually make money because people will buy them. They know that carriers will spend that much money. The carriers aren't making money from the Apple hardware. That's why they keep pricing their phones high as well mm -hmm. because they know that people are going to buy it regardless of the, yeah, well, of also the cost. They used to have specific data plans solely for iPhone users to... Correct, but that was because they didn't know how to sell. They, they, they needed to incentivize Android because Android wasn't as good at the time. Now they can say, okay, yeah. well, you can buy an iPhone or an Android on the same data plan and we'll give you the same experience. Okay. But going... Go, like, Are we going to get into the... We should talk maybe about the pricing more specifically for these devices because I think, you know... Yeah. Th this is where we get... We're talking about, like, in North America, you know, I think with the iPhone 6 Plus... Now we're in a situation where, like, if you were looking for uh, to buy an iPhone 6 Plus straight up. Oh, it's absurd. It's like. Not, it's equal to a MacBook Air. It's 800, it starts at $850 outright. That um, is bald and that's, ridiculous. But okay, so first of all, and I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to, like, defend Apple or justify anything, but you have to, and that's true, JB, I'm not. Um, I'm. I'm actually talking about you know the fact that they are they eliminated the 32 gigabyte um, option here, yeah. so people are going to get confused because they're going to say, "What the hell am I spending 800, 900 dollars on a phone for?" They realize that they actually bought everybody's storage up yeah. by by double. It's just so bizarre. So I'm like, Why did they just gig and then the 32? Yes, get rid of the 16 gig. But and storage is so cheap now. I think like storage is so cheap. It makes no it's sense. Out of price point consideration though, because like the 32s, like they're trying to hit. They are still trying to hit a baseline price because it's starting at this price point. I, I would never buy a 16 gig by phone because yeah, we talked about this morning. We're saying that yeah. like 16 gig is not afraid yeah. anymore. But the 32 is my sweet spot, mm -hmm. and I just got priced there. Exactly. So, so you need well, not really, because they're not they're not pricing the 64 gig version higher than last year's 5S. So if you buy an iPhone 6, yeah. the base model is the same price as last year, and the 32 gigabyte model last year is now the 64 gigabyte model this year. Maybe I'm being cynical, but do you think Apple knows that 16 gigs is enough for nobody? So they're saying, like, hey, we'll have the entry level one be 16 gigs, but the next step up is 64. No. So people aren't going to want the 16 gigs. I think there are tons of people that 16 gigabytes is totally yeah. fine. Like, let's, let's use an analogy from the carriers. I keep 
you know, we keep railing on the fact that data prices are so high. And we say, how can you charge so much when everybody's using five, six gigs a month? They'll come back and they'll say, no, no, we have concrete data yeah, that yeah. people are only using one to two gigs per month on average. So that's why, that's why those are our best price yeah. plans. When, it's when the same were, thing here. When you were, when you were explaining like the, the hardware space update, I, I was exactly thinking of over the years that, that frustration of not fully understanding when a carrier is like, oh yeah, okay, you're paying, you're paying $5 more, but we've now 10x the amount of data you get for this plan. Um, I think it's, a, it's going to be a similar expectation problem, even if it's not technically a problem, but do we, do we want to run through, um, or are we just going to want people to, to read them themselves or do we want to go through the, Oh, we can, we can break the, uh, we can break the bad news. So the iPhone 6, 16 gig unlocked 749, 64 gigs, 859, 128 gigs, which is new for the iPhone, $969. Then we have the 6 Plus, which starts at 859 for the 16 gig model. 64 gigabytes is uh, 969. And the $1,000 mark has finally been broken with an iPhone at the iPhone 6 Plus 128 gigabyte model at $1,079. Those are all before tax. Ooh, Ooh yeah. mama. Um, so it, it might be really pertinent right now to note that the pricing has also changed for the 5C and the 5S for people who are unwilling to spend. Correct. <laughs> um, so those prices uh, are months of rent in Toronto to to own a phone. Oh, oh man, actually, that's a good month. I was like, where do you live? I'm yeah, seriously, I'm, I'm not paying that. That's actually not not that much. Is that sadder for Toronto? Or yeah, it's a little bit sad for both. Um, the iPhone 5C is now being sold unlocked with an eight gigabyte SKU. Uh, still in the same five colors for $469, and the 5S is now available in 16 and 32 gigabyte versions, unlocked for 639 and 699. So this I think I have eight gigabytes worth of sex on my phone. <laughs> like, That's what you, yeah, you were saying. 16 gigs is enough for some people, and I disagree because I use my phone like a 17 year old girl. In which case, it's like I don't store like a lot of like like extra like big data. Like I don't I don't put movies on there. I don't install like a lot of like you know really big games I just have like a shit ton of like whatsapp images that people send me in videos and like voice clips and they just stand on my phone and I back up to Google Plus but they all just stand on my phone and I hate every time I have to go back and delete videos and pictures yeah. so I don't think 16 gigs is enough for anybody for a start I, I just think this isn't one of those times where I think you know Apple and other stages like you know with the laptops there's always been the the complaint that, you know, when you're buying an Apple Air, the the rent is huge, right? So mm -hmm. you, you can't yeah, you upgrade after the fact. And if you want um, a high amount of rent, you have to pay, like, their rent prices are oh, crazy expensive. I don't think the hard drive thing here is the issue of them trying to, to, to bojangle another, you know, $50 per device or something like that. I, I, I really do think that there are people in the world. And people use phones in weird freaking ways. Um, but yeah, okay. So, so these these devices are expensive, right? They're expensive, but they're not significantly more expensive than the than the Samsung Galaxy S five or the Galaxy Note four. So, when you look at it like that, the Galaxy S five is six ninety nine outright at Rogers, um, and it's also a sixteen gigabyte version. It just has a micro SD slot and it has a, a removable battery. But if you look at it from, it's a very big joke. They're not big justs because 
personally, I would never use expandable storage on, on an Android phone because it doesn't work properly after KitKat. It, apps can't store anything on the, on the microSD. So all you have it for is storing media, which nobody uses anymore. I don't store media on my microSD cards because I don't download media, I stream everything. So for me, it's irrelevant. More storage is, is meant for video and movies that, I'm, that I take on my phone so, and apps. And yeah. You know, What's the difference between, uh, are you looking for the biggest checkbox of features, or are you looking for specific I would like a reader provider on the iPhone, I think that would be, I think a lot of people would. Well then the iPhone well, then the would iPhone be as sexy as it is right now. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting that they, that they thinned out both devices so much that they probably sacrifice potential battery capacity. Um, you know, if they kept it at 7.5 millimeters instead of 6.9 and 7.1 and just stuck a bigger battery in there, I'm sure they could have gotten more... Um, battery life out of it, but, but, but that's just need, not what they do. But they need that prestige stink on it. They need they need selling points. It needs to be thin, beautiful. Like it can't. It, Apple can't release a five point five inch tablet that looks like every Android device or a Samsung device because then they have no identity distinction in the market beyond iOS, which a person isn't. Like the average consumer isn't consciously gravitating towards more passively being like, oh, apps are good. I like apps. These are the best apps. Um, that's a very conscious, not that, that's a very active, not a passive decision, especially. Um, well, they might, they might understand the, the conclusion. They might be conscious of the conclusion, but not the reasons as to why, I guess is what I'm saying. But they, you know, but they do, they do know that like, like, I don't know. It's, it's not wrong to say like Apple makes really great hardware. It's it's just no, it's, it's it's beautiful and it's durable and it's it just yeah just want to just stroke it gently and whisper very romantic things. There'll be candles involved, like you know. Some people are willing to pay a certain amount of money just to just to have something beautiful. Yeah, I mean, I looked at the the Note Four, and it was the first metal phone from Samsung that I used. And I'm, I was impressed. I mean, I've, I've been impressed by HTC's metal phones before. Apple's not the only OEM anymore that's making beautiful, yeah. well-made hardware. Even Huawei debuted a really nice metal phone at IFA with the Mate 7. Mm -hmm. Terrible name, but a really nice phone. And, you know, I think that Apple can no longer differentiate on uh, hardware quality alone. But, the, I mean, for me, it's, it's two things. It's the quality of the apps and it's the camera. And those are the two things that keep me... Uh, more or less entrenched in the iOS ecosystem. Oh. The camera is just so much better than anything on the on Android. Uh, you know, they, they make, they, make the, they make the right compromises. They don't increase megapixel count. They increase megapixel or pixel size. The the lens module is is sharp. Uh, they have way faster autofocus this year. So they're, they've caught up to LG and and Samsung in that regard. They make, they can now shoot 1080p at 60. So they that's the same as, as the, uh, the Note 3 and a bunch of other devices. Super, super, super slow-mo. Yeah, 240. Oh, yeah, 240. 240. Yeah. So, like, yeah, they just, like, that's the thing. It's like, the can't, and forget even just like, yeah, okay, the hardware is great to be able to take a great photo. I've never had an issue where I was trying to take a photo of my iPhone and something went wonky and I didn't get the image that I didn't want. I didn't get the image that I wanted because there was a delay over here. It's like, that just... You want a picture, you take a picture, it works. Like yeah. that's very important. And I would say it again, the camera is pure sex. 
It's pure sex. Agreed. But, I mean, to be fair, Nokia devices have been able to do that for a couple of years now. I mean, the Lumia, the Lumia line, lack of apps aside, has a, like, a really wonderful camera experience. And increasingly, many Android phones do too. But there's just something about the IQ inside the iPhone that just makes sure that exposure is right, um, that you know, autofocus is usually right. Uh, and, and that you just get a great photo most of the time. Yeah. Okay, so we, we, you know, we've been beating around the bush with some of the other Apple stuff, but I think there's one, there's one question that I want to ask you guys before we get off the, the two phones is that, and even if you're not necessarily looking to purchase one of these two, um, if you had to choose between the iPhone 6 and the 6 Plus, what would you do? Because a 5.5 inch anything frightens me. Um, I'm... I'm saddened by the, the loss of optical image stabilization uh, if I don't go with the 6 Plus. Um, and even though I'd like prefer like an extended battery life, I'm fine with the performance that I get on my iPhone 5 battery. Um, I don't, I'm, hadn't spent too much time with the 5S to really know the difference there. But like if I were, you know, come October when my contract ends and Roger wants to put me over a barrel with new pricing and uh, things like that, I'm probably going to go with the iPhone 6. What about you guys? Yeah, I mean, I'm like, I have a OnePlus One in my hand right now, and this is a 5.5 inch device that's roughly the same dimensions as the, as the 6 Plus. So, you know, I'm using it with one hand. It's not too uncomfortable. Um, I'm, I'm probably going to go with the 6 Plus if only because the OAS is, is there, and I, I'm a huge photographer, and I um, not a fat photographer. I, I like photography, <laughs> and um, I I generally take advantage of OAS whenever I can. Uh, it has to be said, though, Dan Seifert of The Verge wrote up a really interesting article today about the difference between OAS uh, and digital stabilization, and he noted that OAS doesn't actually save you when your subject is moving. It's only saving you when you're moving. So if you're taking a photo of a dog in low light, it's not going to help because the dog's still going to be blurry. But if you're taking a photo of a building at, in low light, the building's not going anywhere. So it allows the shutter to stay open longer without blurring. And that's really the significant upgrade there. So Specifically in low light where there's situations where you know, it has to stay open to just get the proper exposure. Right. right. So you, when you keep your shutter open longer, you don't have to crank up the ISO. And the ISO is the light sensitivity, light, light sensitivity, which adds grain to the photo. So that's the trade-off. You can either add grain, or you can keep the shutter open longer. No one wants digital grain. It's the worst kind of grain. It's it's just it's worse. Okay, so Jane, I'm holding. Yeah, I am now also holding the OnePlus in my hand, and like I'm trying to use my imagination to imagine this as an iOS device, and I hate it. I hate that it's like like the world's biggest iPod. But look, I mean that like now you're holding the 5S in your hand and that's just how like crazy small it is. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean that's really the big thing for me is I've been wanting a bigger iPhone for a very long time. Uh, even though I understand that the 4-inch screen allows you to use it with one hand quite well. I'm Sandra and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. 
well. And I don't think that the reachability thing, the, the, the fact that they've added this double tap on your home button to lower the, the screen. Um, what while you, while what Daniel is talking, we're now holding our hands together. And it seems that we're perfectly hand matched, which is crazy. It's like a mirror. Uh, yeah. It's creepy. Yeah. So, yeah. Mm, your hands. No. No. Uh, okay, so with Jane, you didn't. You didn't so yeah, I would. I would never buy a phone this big. I won't. Well, I won't but you that. have a Nexus Five. I have a Nexus. No, but this is five point five. I know, but the Nexus Five isn't that much smaller. Well, and you have a. But like an HTC, this is like the M8, and this is five inches, and I feel like. This Even this is still size. big. No, and this is good size. Mm. Yeah, I, I think you know. So I've been I've been waiting to get my hands on the M8 for a while, and I think that's just as big as I can go because it, there's just. But yeah. then again, when I had like I had like you know before I went you know over like four point five inches, I was just like no, I'll never like like how big was the original Note? That was like five point three. Five point three, yeah, and I thought that was just ridiculous. Yeah. And now I'm like, yeah, it's not so bad. But it's just funny but that like the extra half inch just makes such a huge difference. Okay, but I think if you look at it from, from a larger kind of macro perspective, for so long Android manufacturers were differentiating themselves on size alone. Samsung had this huge array of features, but at the end of the day, they were still the, the manufacturer with a bigger phone. And now you have Apple overnight catching up to them. So Android manufacturers cannot, can no longer live off size alone. Yeah, no what do you do? Well, you still continue to sell a certain amount of phones. You put a lot of money into marketing. Um, no, they're going to fucking beep up those stupid UIs again. That's what's going to happen. Well, no, because then we have Android. Um, then we have uh, Android L, which is hopefully going to sort of eliminate some of the noise. Hopefully, Lic licorice lollipop. Um, what was one of the other ones in the? In the post that we did. There was some not safe for work There was some very not safe for pod. NSFP. Um, but okay, we're getting away from it now though. Because yeah, yeah. um, I, I think we gotta, gotta transition to you know the one thing that did come with the iPhone 6 announcements that that beyond the hardware puts Apple yeah. in a position where you know this isn't a spec consideration. This isn't oh they finally added NFC. This is like here's our approach to changing uh, user experience, or we can talk about the watch, or we can talk about both. Mm -hmm. But we gotta, we gotta start talking payments, um, or, or watch. Right. So, I mean, both, I think payments goes into this whole idea of using the, the hardware features to enable people to do more. And the fact that Apple can almost single-handedly and is the only company that's a company that's single-handedly capable of changing an entire ecosystem. Mm -hmm. You know, we, we posted something today about how Canadians don't really have a unified way of paying with uh, their smartphones yet because different banks talk to different carriers and talk to different manufacturers. And if you have, you know, a Huawei phone, on Bell and you're an RBC customer, you're SOL. You just cannot use your phone, even if it has NFC. So, you know, you're stuck. And uh, the reality is that Apple is capable of, of, of negotiating with all of these companies. And Apple Pay is very similar to everything else out there. It uses NFC, it uses a secure element, it uses tokenization, it uses, uh, it uses authentication. Uh, with biometrics. I mean, Samsung has all of this inside of their S5, but they just don't have the partnerships. They well, haven't They haven't talked to anybody forget, yet. Forget partnerships. It's like, you know, they don't have the guaranteed install base of what 
Apple does to be able to say to go to those partners and say, hey, look, yeah. everyone here will use it. Here's one choice. Like, you know, there yeah. are benefits to being a walled garden. Yeah. And I understand sure. the benefits of, of being, uh, you know, the quasi-open system. But, you know, like a lot of things that Apple has done to change the game on either the music industry, portable media player, tablets, things come from the fact that they're just doing, trying to do one thing, trying to make it really simple and get everyone or as many people as they can on board. And I think... More than anything, just having, even if, it, even if you know, uh, Apple Pay is, like, not as good as any other solution, like, you know, if you go, if all the things that it can do, for example, I thought it was really interesting that not only were they showing the uh, point of sale payments, but the in-app Pay with Apple Pay, which is like a direct PayPal mm-hmm. competitor, even if they don't do each one of those features as well as some other individual competitor, the fact that they can do them all. Like, no, we only want, it's like, it's like if you had, um, every time you went to a store, you had to pay with paper money that was like different. I was like, oh, these, these $10 bills only work on Tuesdays and, um, Friday is Euro day Mm -hmm. and the exchange rate just happened. And if I, if I pay with, um, this, this quarter and a voucher, um, I'll get 10% off. Like. People just want the most simplistic. It's the same. It's the same logic that goes behind having department stores. Like back in the day, people used to have to go to ten different stores to buy all of their stuff. Like it was like all the different stores. But now it's like, oh well, it's too bad the department store doesn't sell X brand. But at least I know if I go to the department store, I can get every single item on my list, even if it might not be the most. Yeah. Like even if it might not be everything, might not be the top choice that I would buy. It Mm -hmm. would still be. At least you could buy everything. Yeah. So it's it's Walmart. Yeah, it is. Or but Amazon. This or, thing is, or is Amazon, that yeah. people have no people have stopped being like I just want like I just want they they they've just started asking for like Apple to come in like the comments on this post that we did we did like an awesome chart on mobile payments and people are like people are just despairing they're just like this is awful like this is why it's never gonna work and they're like someone like Apple just needs to come in and just fix it yes. and like several people and like we we have a very you know varied reader base but people are like apple just needs to come in and just fix this yeah yeah but they would they would do it and and we'll we'll talk about the apple watch in a second but they'll do it only to benefit their own hardware customers they're not doing this to benefit the mobile payment ecosystem you know they don't want android users to be able to take advantage of apple pay because if they did they would release an apple pay api and make it free for everybody to use well their idea of the greater good is buying is apple Apple exactly apple is the communist greater good that's fine but then, you know, I would and, say more of a Spartan thing than a communist redistribution of wealth. Huh. Um, but yeah, I, you know, but, but I think they are, but it's also why they don't compromise on things and try to make premium products and don't just, just dump low end stuff it's because they do believe that if they do something really, really well, they can actually change the game. And they've, they've proven that time and again, that when they take a big swing at something and put all their energy and thought behind it. They can they can change the way the tech industry thinks about uh, a, what we call like a, a product line or a, a product vertical. For them, it's an like an experience point. Maybe that's the perfect transition to talk about Apple Watch because mm-hmm. you know if it were any other company, and we've seen this before, we've seen it with the Moto 360. The limited amount of detail that Apple releasing that keynote about. Pricing, timeline, battery life, like specifics for use, people would have been losing their shit over it during the keynote. 
But instead, Apple spent so much time focusing on their approach to building and creating something that people would want and the design considerations in each, like the, the Johnny Ive, like cool jazz voice talking to you about like sharing heartbeats and emotional connections and things like that. Like that's, that's not entirely BS. Like that's how they're approaching designing a product. And that's more than anything got me interested in the Apple Watch, even if I could never afford it on a tech writer seller. <laughs> Yeah, so let's let's talk about um, the fundamentals. So we don't know a whole lot right now, but we do know that the base model will be 349 US. There will be three different models. So the watch, just called the watch, and the watch sport, and the watch edition, which is an 18 karat gold version that's probably going to sell for like two thousand dollars. Yeah. There will be six straps for each edition, so 18 straps overall. Two sizes of watches. In two sizes. So this is a very interesting product because unlike the iPhone, which up until now you can basically buy one new model per year, or the iPad two new models per year. This will, this will allow you to customize it to you know any number of degrees. And in addition to customized watch faces, which you'll be able to download from the App Store, you have a watch that will suit pretty much everybody, hopefully. I mean, Apple, just by coming out with two sizes, is eliminating the criticism that most Android Wear watches are way too big for women's wrists. And you have you, you have a situation here where they're going for fashion and function before technology. Well, is it, is it, do you think there's the most personal piece of hardware that they've ever built? Which makes no sense to me, because the iPhone stores all of your shit, but still. But, but more sense is like, you don't have to wear your phone on you as an identification or representation of you. Uh, a wearable, a watch, is an element of, of fashion or identity in addition to being a, a functional thing. So I get I get the, the personal aspect of, you know, oh, if I, if I lost my phone, I would lose all of my, my, my cloud, yeah, your brain, your, your cloud um, existence, but you also don't hold it up and show show it off to people in a way. Yeah, but I think I think you're almost wrong to say that it's it fixes the problem of the fact that see I'm just never gonna let a smartwatch. No, but it's like it's it's good. It's the right direction to say look we've got a whole bunch of straps, we've got two different sizes of actual watch. But the problem is, is that if you don't like the look of that actual watch module, it doesn't matter. But the straps don't matter, like the different colours, like the the two different sizes, like none of it matters because you're like, well I don't like the look of that rounded square that looks oh, like... Oh, I'm sorry, it's a squircle. A squircle? Thank you. <laughs> so, yeah, but, but that's the same thing for, for any any watch, right? I know, but it's, but it's still just... You still have to like that little... It's like saying, like, oh, like this is, here's this ugly shit belt, bu- belt buckle, but you can put any like, belt on it that you want. It's like, no, I still have to look at that buckle every single day. Do you right. really think it's that? I, I, it's it's I, don't, I don't think it's beautiful. I mean, yeah, it has the potential to be beautiful. I'm not sure. Like, I'm wearing a Moto 360 right now, and, you know, there's one thing, until I turn it on, I would call it beautiful, and then when I, call, when I turn it on, I'm like, oh, right, it has a really low red screen. Um, and we don't know the specs of the Apple Watch yet, so we don't know how high resolution the screen is, we don't know how long the battery will last. All of these things are really important, but at the end of the day, Apple is really focusing on what features the watch will have. It'll have something called a uh, digital crown, which will prevent users from having to touch the screen, uh, overly use the uh, touch screen for navigation, which has been an issue so far. Yeah, and it's really interesting because, you know, this is, it, when they first, when Tim Cook first talked about the digital crown, it almost seemed like a regression, and then you realize, well, how the hell else are they going to do input on a watch that didn't cover the screen? And it totally makes sense. And, you know, I, I love the Moto 360, I, I love Android Wear for, for most things, but navigating through it uh, using touch is, is just very aggravating sometimes. And then when you want to talk to it, uh, you look crazy. So I think that the, the crown is a good compromise. And it's, it's funny to take the time to say, hey, we did, we did the mouse, we did multi-touch now. You know, like, it's not, you can't just think of these things as a phone on your wrist. Like, there has to be, it's not just it's digital, not. It's, yeah, it's not just a digital crown. There's also touch gestures, but there's also what they're calling tactic feedback. So the screen can also sense the level of pressure that you're putting on 
uh, on it, which is, I think, between those three things. And also the digital crown actually has a, a push button as well to mm -hmm. select. Um, you know, those are, those are, that's a more complex interface than any other smartwatch out there. Just, just in the multiplicity of it, um, which I think is really interesting. Yeah, so, you know, the watch uh, is, is a very interesting device, but uh, more than anything, the, the, the way that they're trying to discourage voice or at least um, obfuscate voice as a, as a direct method of, of, of input contrasts really interestingly to Android Wear, which is basically all about voice. Mm -hmm. yeah. And it also speaks to the fact that although the Apple Watch will have Siri, it's not going to rely on Siri the way that Android Wear relies on. Yeah, when they app. talked about it during the during the keynote, Siri was such an afterthought. Mm -hmm. Like it's like, oh, and by the way, Siri will be there too. And yeah. it's like, whereas well, if you're at like in the Google I/O keynote or watching any of the, the announcements, it's, it was like everything was done through through Google now, and like the voice voice activation of different features like navigation, everything. Mm -hmm. So that might just be smooth because we all already know about Siri, so they don't have to spend that much time talking about no, it. No, it's they're actively trying to discourage, like they're trying to like, you know, get yeah. across the point that like you honestly don't, you can go days without ever talking to your watch. Which you shouldn't have to. I never talk to my Android Wear watch. I don't but like the thing, it's true. It's like if you want, really want to know what movie Jennifer Lawrence is in last, like you don't need to ask your watch. You can take out your phone. Like that's not what your watch is for. Your watch is so that you can check the time, check your notifications, like maybe answer a phone call with your hands reset. Like it's, it's not so that you can browse the web. Okay. Yeah, nor should you. All right. So real talk here because... Because we weren't talking really... No, I want to get I want to get really real. I I do it for the pod. I do it for the people. Shout out Grays eighty one. Shout out Aaron Hoyland. Shout out Jeff Bassard again. I'm doing this for you guys because watching that keynote, I I was so happy to see an Apple like Tim Cook was so proud of what they were showing and seemed so triumphant. And in, in during the initial presentation of all the little things that they were doing to try and make a smartwatch really compelling, I was very excited by the decisions they made. I'm really interested in health and fitness, which seems to be the two main components of this. Mm -hmm. by, the, by the end of the day, especially taking into consideration the price, I still didn't know if I needed a smartwatch in any way. And I, I know that it's a similar situation we're talking about trust before, where Apple released a tablet that was essentially a giant phone. It was a, an aspect ratio. And no one knew, they, they didn't know yet what a tablet could do because it, it takes the app developers and the ecosystem and the components to make that screen ratio, that portability viable. Mm -hmm. I know this is really early days of wearable categories, smartwatch OS, all that as well, especially since someone's playing with it. I still can't conceive of, unless, unless the biometrics, unless, you know, what Apple's doing to Trump for remote control for your life with all the kids is so compelling and helpful. Like, if Siri takes over my personal health and fitness and well-being, I'm on board. But if it's really just, like, sending my heartbeat to people and... It's not good. Like, they went to, they went to, like, the fitness and, like, health apps can, um, can help you like that can remind you to do certain things. Like, I think of like you actually have walked in order today, like it's like from the fridge to your under. Like, yeah. so like can remind you, like, get off your ass and like go somewhere. And that's what I've been using for a lot of people. You can give you like goals and based on your, on your past workouts. Like, yeah. I don't know, like, I think it's unfair to say that it's just like, oh, like, no, I'm not, I'm not saying it's a heartbeat. And, you know, and the fact that they, they, I think it's really smart that they made the distinction, distinction between health and fitness, that there's an app for people who just want to be more active and maybe need help and constant reminders and a, a little, um, 
And yeah, it is one of the, it's one of the things that I like is that it's truly one of the first apps that it just focuses on people being healthy, not people being sporty or active mm-hmm. or like fit. It's just like this is the amount you need to move to function yeah. as a person like properly. Yeah, one of the examples was like, hey, I'm gonna set a goal of making sure that I stand up for a minute every hour because that really increases blood flow circulation. Yeah. A lot of people on Twitter were saying that you know, well, this is like just going to the gym. People that you know buy gym, gym memberships and, and then don't go are never gonna go. And people that do will because they have some if, my sort of... vo- if my watch is vibrating, like if it just started vibrating when it was time for me to stand up and didn't stop until I stood up, I would stand up. I will, I'll do whatever. <laughs> yeah, I will do what my watch tells me to my do. My notification tells me to do. That's why it exists. But Well, that's interesting because, I mean, that's really how like the Jawbone up and the Fitbit yeah. really got, got started is that... You know, when I had a jawbone before it broke, because it was terribly made. Jaw broke. Jaw <laughs> um, Shout out, jaw broke. So, you know, before I had it, uh, before I, it broke, I, I had it buzz me every half an hour to remind me to get up. And that was one of the more subtle, cool features that it had. But it was also, um, it, it, you know, just, just counting your steps or just doing one or two of these things is not enough data to really help yeah. you. But the Apple Watch, it has a barometer, it has a bunch of other, it has a, a really good heart rate monitor, it has an IR sensor, so it has all these things that work together that none of these, uh, so all of, all of the current available fitness trackers have one or two of these yeah, heart rate like features. all of the current trackers in one device. Right, and it also has developer, uh, developer interest. Yeah, like Nike, Nike took a look at the, like Nike, Nike, their brand, everything they are is health and fitness. And they took one look at this, and probably because they had a partnership with Apple, I don't know if they got the heads up or just to see that like it was not worth their time totally. to compete. Absolutely. I, I mean, there's no chance that they got out of the hardware game two months ago without knowing what was coming from Apple. Yeah. And so, I, you know, I know you're doing like pretty amazing tech with uh, our work guy, Tom Emmerich, so maybe this is a question you guys are going to have, but I want to throw this other. What does a company like Apple do? Like, what, like, what do we have to have? Yeah, and from there on one side, which is like the field, is Apple, this is the, is the coalition, and, yes. have, and then you have Sparta on the other side. And anyone who's going to try and go alone will have either the, the mass, the developer support, like, probably, like, the money to just, like, how does it, what do they do? The sad thing is, Pebble was promising for so long, and now within the space of about three months, it's just everyone's gone from, like, oh, Pebble's pretty cool, to, like, yeah, it's being, like, Pebble's cool. Well, you know, <laughs> it's, it's interesting. The OS2 work was pretty cool for six months ago. <laughs> if you've ever read the history of OS2 and Ars Technica, it's an amazing article, by the way. But I was thinking about that earlier, you know, is, is Pebble fucked because they, they're focusing on different things. They're focusing on making a smartwatch that lasts for a week that uh, is readable in the sun, that doesn't do too much. It has some very specific partnerships with app developers. Uh, everything on Pebble is very simple, it's very small, it's a lot more comfortable to wear than any Android device I've used. So I'm gonna wait until the Apple Watch comes out and I'll make the right comparison, but I think there is a market for a simple, cheaper smartwatch from Pebble. And you know, that's- The cheaper is the keyword, because they're coming to the field, like- It's 250, but the next generation, I mean, this is still the same hardware that was announced in January or April of 2012, right? Yeah. So the second generation Pebble has to be on its way, and they're not gonna make a dire mistake of not significantly updating it and still keeping you know, the five-day battery life. I think um, they have something good there. Uh, speed belt. Um, for you. It's tough being between these giants. We've been like, we've, we've talked about it like so many times on Twitter and the podcast and even at Bosa Europe. But like, Android like, doesn't really give that great experience. Like, it gives you a, like, a wild smartwatch. But the experience is kind of shit. So it's just Android, it's just so Android. Especially like, we talked about yesterday, we're all talking about the, the, the Apple Watch and how it, it does so much in one device. And the problem is, I guess, Google has to build kind of a baseline for the software and they don't allow any customizations. So basically, the experience you get is like the vanilla Google experience, which at this point is crap. Mm-hmm. Although, so you know, some some news that we have, uh, I think last week, uh, indicates an Android where we get music playback and GPS support for most watch faces. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that's just, well, that's stupid. It's just. 
trade off. It's well, it's it's. it's they've been talking. They've been talking about watch faces since like what July. Yeah, and they're I mean, promising before the end of the year we can have it. Well, they're gonna. I mean, they're gonna announce it when they announce the new Nexus. I I have no doubt because that. Well, they have to because that that um, what's the watch that's coming in October? The Zen watch. Mm. Except the Zen watch like it's just bragging about the fact that you can take it. It's got GPS support. Like you can take it with you for one. You can leave your phone at home, mm-hmm. and that's due out in October. So it has to. And the smartwatch three by Sony. Yeah, sorry, that was the one that was. Yeah, the smartwatch three by Sony has GPS support. So mm-hmm. they and they said it's coming October, early October. So they have to have that update ready in the next like four weeks. Yeah, yeah, I I, I think Android Wear is is pretty. Uh, I'm not going to say useless, but it's pretty limited in what it can do today. Yeah. But I think it also. But the fact that it it uses Google Now as a platform backend means that anything that Google adds to Now, which it does server side, it will just do automatically because it's always talking to your phone. So I think that's really where the potential lies. I just don't think that you want to use Google Now with your voice. You know, Google Now is really good at sending you little pieces of information when you need them. Okay. And so both of that's the thing that maybe it's it's less about because I think the the one thing that really Google has over. Uh, Apple on a services level is that it's just so smart about giving you information when when you need, you need it, it. When right? You need it, right. And you need it, and you know Apple's just not even it trying to do that. So you know maybe Android Wear evolves, and you know Android started oh, well, very totally well. very feature low. So like Google yeah. has the resources and the time. Like Android Wear is not going anywhere. It could become. Oh, well, you know, parity wise. Yeah. No, it will. No, and I, I know that it will improve over time. I'm just saying the initial experience. Like, I don't see the experience in, I don't know when, like, the Apple Watch is going to launch. They said early 2015. So I'm yeah. assuming first quarter. So let's say it comes out like March. Like, I'm, I don't see Android Wear being so significantly better that it could stand up. Like, if I was standing with my friend and wearing Android Wear, because I won't have an Apple Watch because I won't have an iPhone. So I can't see myself standing next to a friend who has an Apple Watch and being like, mine is as good as yours. Yeah. Well, we don't know because we haven't seen it or used it. And I think that's, you know... I'm based on features alone. No, I, I, I agree with you completely. But at, at the same time, you know, they're not using iOS as a, as a software platform on, on the Apple Watch the same way that Android is used as, for the platform on Android Wear. Um, they're going to have to create entirely new apps for uh, for the watch, or significant, or at least alter the iOS apps to give um, feed, uh, what, what's it called um, expanse expanded notifications. Mm-hmm. But more than anything, I, I think that this is very much a 1.0 product from Apple, and they're pricing it high because they don't know how many people are going to buy one. They don't. I mean, well, I, I think so they're going to wait until the second generation to really make this great. The way that the iPad was not great until the iPad two and. The iPhone wasn't great until the iPhone 3G. Well, I think as a piece of hardware, it's still immediately compelling. But, you know, to take a look at the number of people who buy this, I know uh, Jason Calacanis did a uh, a post to his, his email group. Uh, <laughs> still his mailing list. His mailing list, thank God. Um, such a bumpkin. Uh, basically saying, even if, if one out of every five... Apple or iPhone users? iPhone user buys one. It's like 35 million devices sold in its first year. So that's an unparalleled success. I don't think that's, that's going to happen. Yeah. If, if only because the majority of iPhone users are buying their iPhones on contract. So what's the prospect of spending $200 on your phone and then double that on a watch? 
It just doesn't make sense. It's a great thing to get next Christmas if you already have a phone for two or three years. Like a four hundred dollar Christmas present. I mean, people get iPads for Christmas. There are lots of people who spend way too much money on their tech and not enough money on paying down the debt. Yeah, but the thing is, you can use an iPad on its own. The iWatch relies on an iPhone. Yeah, but if you have a if you have a watch, like if you have an iPhone, then getting the watch that works with your phone is the one to get, right? And also, like I think there's there's some things saying that like they're you know Apple's looking to make these watches with a, a much longer. Um, replacement cadence mm. so this is this might be a situation where you actually replace the components internally and not Oof, no way i just don't think they'll need to upgrade as much because the hardware is not as prone to obsolescence as uh, an iphone yeah. because you don't do as much on it so we'll see i mean uh you know, i i think we'll talk a lot about the watch in the coming weeks as as the uh, announcement gets gets detailed and and we we move towards a release date uh, I think we should talk a little bit about Apple Pay. Um, in, in well, I mean, we, we've talked a little bit about it, but let's talk about um, you know the Canadian market for that. I think that um, even though the carriers and the manufacturers and the banks don't really talk to one another that much, it's it's improving. And we also know that NFC payments are going to be more easily made in Canada because most merchants already have NFC capable terminals, mm -hmm. so they're already there. They just need the the support. Um, do you guys have anything? Uh, we we didn't really talk about the Microsoft announcements last week. Uh, we are we are we gonna go? I I, mean, I think we can like we're almost at an hour. We can close this up and, and just say like you know with all the the lead up and all the the talk conversation that we did before this. Did you guys feel with even with all the unanswered questions that Apple delivered enough? Were you satisfied? Yeah, absolutely. I was satisfied. I mean, I'm I'm looking forward to the larger iPhones. Um, I'm looking forward to using Apple Pay. Uh, I don't think it'll come to Canada anytime soon, but I think Apple Pay is potentially more disruptive than any piece of hardware that they announced. Right. And uh, I think that I really, really have been clamoring because I I'm I'm very interested in in the technology behind mobile payments in the sense that Visa and MasterCard have had to create entirely new platforms for themselves mm -hmm. uh, with tokenization, with uh, uh, NFC capabilities, with something called, um, oh, I'm, I'm forgetting the, uh, I'm blanking. But it's, anyway, you don't need a secure element. It's uh, uh, host card emulation, HCE. So we've spoken a lot about these things over the last couple of years. I think they're finally coming to a head with Apple Pay. And, and then, you know, from the uh, uh, really important topical thing, like, yeah, I was saying, they're not storing any of this. It's like a one-time use token. Like, mm. They're not in the business of collecting right. your payment data. They're just looking to facilitate payments. Well, no, they're not storing it on your on, on, on their cloud servers. They're storing it on your phone. But they're not storing that actual information. They're storing, as you said, a version of your of your smartphone that or your, your credit card. Um, what about you? You you think it was Jane? Um, I don't know. I'm really I'm really impressionable when it comes to these kinds of events. So I find myself getting super caught up in it and then getting really really excited. And then once like my inner hysteria dies down and I like I look at what they've just given me, I kind of get hypercritical and I kind of go like. So like the biggest I guess like the biggest like boner moment for me was like the different sizes of the watches and the fact that they're they're trying to appeal to more people. 
but like uh, payments I think was super exciting I was really bummed they didn't talk more about iOS 8 like they talked somewhat about it but like was there the watch like announcement was so like they talked about the watch for so long without actually giving me any information that I was just like oh. and then there was U2 and then there was U2 and one of the tit so that really like killed that like yeah, yeah. yeah they're going on about how they're not going to store any payment information but they just magically pushed a U2 album to every iPhone in the world well, so it's push not pull so yeah, that, that, I mean that's that's interesting. Uh, shout out to Nokia. Yeah, so you know, going back to Microsoft for a minute, you know, they announced we didn't get a chance to talk about them last week, but they announced uh, a couple of devices during uh, IFA. Then Lumia Eight Thirty, uh, which is a mid-range phone, uh, the Lumia Seven Thirty, which has a really high-resolution front-facing camera because everybody's vain today. But more importantly, um, Microsoft will be dropping Nokia from its uh, branding, as well as the word phone from Windows Phone in the coming months. I'm happy so, with 50% of those decisions. <laughs> yeah, so what that what? means is that Microsoft Windows will be the overarching brand for both the desktop and the phone platforms, which makes sense because they've been unifying them on the back end. what planet does that make sense? Well, because iOS is the same for both yeah, the I'm tablet the and... Windows app store and I yeah. see, ooh, I can download XYZ app for my Windows yeah. device and then they're like, no, not your phone, Jane, not your phone. But, I'm like, but I don't have a Windows But laptop. that's becoming a thing because developers are releasing... But it's not a thing yet. It's becoming it's a, a thing. thing for two this years. is the Windows RT debacle all over again. People mm-hmm. are going to walk into shops and go, well, well, what's the difference? And then the person in the store is going to say, well, one runs on your phone and one runs on your computer. Is it really the same? No. For the listeners out there, Jane said Windows RT. In Windows or T. I am from another country, and Toronto is a very welcoming place. Yes. Very welcome. You're very welcome, but, yeah. and we're very welcome to make fun of you. I think <laughs> I think the the phone brand change simplifies things, but only to the extent that it backloads the confusion when people assume that there's a unification amongst Windows that they're trying to get to, but doesn't actually exist yet. Which is going to be, yeah. you know, that's what I mean. Doesn't it's not there it's, yet? It's a half measure, but it's it's this, the first step, and they had to do it. No, the first step is. Unifying on the inside before they take it. They've done. They've done that though. Best thing about a, a in-person podcast is that we can high five. No, so look at something like Tweedium, which is a Twitter app for uh, Windows RT, Windows Nick, 8, and in the Windows. Made the exact same point as me, but they actually named a specific app. I think maybe someone in the one of the banking apps or something. But it's available for Windows desktop, and it's not available for phone. You're the opposite way around. Mm-hmm. And they're like, I'm going to go to the Windows Store, and I'm going to see that app. I'm going to be like, Oh, I want it. I'm going to click on it, and it's not going to be available. I agree completely. It's not a great solution. So why solution. can't they make it available first? Or because like unify the, because first it's developers are their own way. people. They're just encouraging people to go in that direction. They can't force the developers to create an app. This is why no one likes both. Microsoft. <laughs> well, that's... I mean, yeah, they've been doing this to themselves for, for years, but um, you know, they still have Office t- for, for Windows that's touch-enabled, and yet they came out with uh, iOS or an iPad version. So Look, nothing reminds, that Microsoft does makes sense. It reminds me of when we were talking on the podcast last week about Motorola and how they were like, oh, it was the Moto X plus one internally, but like, you know, outwardly it's just the Moto X. We don't want to, like, we put it like the X plus one internally because we want to confuse people, but like we're happy to confuse every single person who's going to buy our phone. And I feel like this is that but worse because it's going to confuse everybody internally and everybody I think of people should be given the benefit of the doubt that they can no. differentiate between Moto X first gen and Moto X second gen oh for that yeah but not for Windows phone and Windows nobody has a Windows phone so it doesn't matter <laughs> Jeff I'm sorry it's, it's, it's not it's not that nothing Microsoft does makes any sense it's that it always makes just enough sense 
that you see you see the other side of the sense cliff. You, you see... Is that like Heathcliff? But, uh, <laughs> I was going to say, not it's, as Victorian. It's, it's the uncanny sense valley, where the closer <laughs> they get to making sense, the more frustrated you are for them not just making all of the sense. I think you owe HTC royalties. Uh, blah, blah, blah. Won't, won't. Sense, sense. Um, that's, that was my Gary Oldman commercial impersonation. But can we talk about the, the really... Important part here is that you know Nokia is now officially fucking dead. Like, well, no, Nokia devices is dead. Nokia as a company is still making tons of stuff. Nokia here. Exactly, they have here. They have they, they have their um, NSN. Uh, they make hardware. That's none of it's sexy though. Yeah, none of it's So matters. they're making Android apps now, which is interesting. Shout out Series Forty. Yeah. So by the way, we just yeah. discovered today that Rogers still sells the Nokia E5 <laughs> for fifty dollars on contract, which is a Series Forty device that was released in two thousand and eight, oh, and somehow they're still they're still they're um, still charging people money for that. Seriously, experience. it's a three hundred dollar phone still. It's insane. I, I bet. I bet if you ordered one, it would take like six weeks shipping. They wouldn't have one in store, and they might charge you priority. <laughs> like. It's like a fuck you delivery fee. Yeah, just like, <laughs> just like yeah, it's, so, it's yeah, things. It's like buying things on eBay when you're drunk. But that's the thing is, like, you know, the person who's gonna buy that is gonna be like, like, Tommy Holland. It's a 68 year old woman who like orders it online just after she gets her computer, and then was like, oh, it's gonna take six weeks for my phone to get there, and then every person under the age of like 58 who comes to her house is gonna be like. Why? Why did you get that? It's the last phone that she had because for two decades, the idea of a cell phone was like Nokia was Kleenex for phones. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's now it's gone. So like Nokia still exists as a company, but See, that's Nokia difference. phones are dead. It's the saddest thing. That's it's not that sad. It's not that sad. The reason you say, hey, you're dropping Nokia, you're dropping phone. And you're like, why do you have that? Like, you just want to keep Nokia around because you care. Like, it feels nothing for Microsoft. That's not what it No, I'm just saying, because you're like, oh, I just agree with that. It's like, why? It makes sense for them. Like, you know, Microsoft doesn't make sense for them to acquire a company and then say, this phone's close now. It's like completely reasonable. I don't like that. That's a lot of money. That was expensive potato. That's a lot of money. All those people and to destroy brand and global recognition. Destroy brand. They destroy that brand themselves. That brand is dead. That brand was awful. Burmese, the burning metal platform happened, what, uh, didn't happen. the burning platform metal happened in 2009? 2011. Anyway, so the final thing we're going to talk about today, uh, quickly, is Lumia Denim, which is coming out for devices, uh, current Lumia devices, later this year or early next year. It's going to have Windows Phone 8.1 Update 1, uh, which brings Cortana to Canada finally, and we're going to leave on that note, uh, because that is a positive thing. We like Cortana better than most personal assistants. Uh, and that was uh, our first in-person podcast, no video podcast this week, folks as we do not have the equipment for it just yet.